0: Welcome to our first part of our series, Taboo. Now the name implies that we're going to be talking about things that uh, maybe should not be talked about. And the idea is, built on the premise, that people in our culture typically or generally don't want others telling them what to think or what to do in regard to their political, religious, or sexual orientation. And so what I want to do is avoid the temptation that often is presented to the church and to Christians to follow this aura of taboo and just jump right in the middle of those topics and uh, deal with them as a church family. I know that these topics can be divisive, they can be controversial, and sometimes even offensive. We're not going to try to do any of that intentionally, but these topics should not be taboo for believers. And so we're going to just jump in and uh, get in the middle of what is often deemed taboo. I don't claim to be an expert on these subjects. I certainly am not living out some secret ambition to become a politician all I'm really trying to do is just be a good pastor and just shepherd you. And part of what was burdening my heart in regard to this topic is uh, sitting right here in the front rows. Um, You know, the students... I don't know that you're regularly being instructed to deal with these subjects in our culture. And I just hope to equip you, I hope to equip all of us to be able to deal with these subjects in a faithful way. And so um, some sources that I'm using for tonight, just to give you heads up on some books, if you want to take a look into some things in more depth. The book City of Man by Michael Gerson and Peter Wayner is an excellent book. Very instructive and encouraging. City of Man. Another one is Politics According to the Bible by Wayne Grudem. That is more of a reference book. You have questions, you go to that and look at it. It's huge. covers a lot of topics in politics. And it's very helpful as a reference in dealing with that from a biblical perspective. And then God and Government by Charles Coulson. All three of those books um, you're going to get tastes of tonight in what I do. All right? Let me tell you more specifically about why we'll take up this endeavor. Now, I I don't pretend tonight to uh, be an entertainer. I'm really functioning more in a role of teacher, and you will not be entertained tonight, Uh, but I hope you will be taught. Okay, that's my goal. Let me tell you why we are jumping into this. Let me give you some clarity on that why. Um, God's concerns should be our concerns. So that's why we're jumping into this, because God is concerned with the affairs of our world. He's concerned with the governments of our world. He's concerned with the politics in our world and in our nation. God establishes governments. He has a concern for the political activities within our nation and around the world. God is unfolding world events towards His purposes. He is concerned about what's happening every single day in the structures that He has ordained, government being one of those institutions. And if God is concerned about politics and government, Well, we should be as well. And so I want to jump into this for that reason. Another reason is found in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. And in this passage, Paul is conveying that he feels like he has done his job in communicating the the whole counsel of God. If you read that passage, he says, "...I'm innocent of the blood of all men." For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose or the whole counsel of God. And as I referenced earlier, I feel like in in part, these subjects um, are neglected. And they were not well equipped in how to deal with these things as Christians in our culture. And so tonight is just scratching the surface at my attempt to do a better job at presenting to you a piece of the whole counsel of God that I fear is often neglected. And I don't want it to be that way for our church family. The third reason why is because our democracy, our country needs people of faith who will engage faithfully in the world. See, when we do not engage In uh, politics and government and community, in the civic realm and the public forum, then we're really acting irresponsibly. I've been really convinced that the reason we don't engage in a more activist manner in the civic realm, the public forum, the political affairs of our country as Christians. Is because we are very comfortable in our country. We are free to worship. We are free to gather. We are free to train our children. We are free to exercise all kinds of rights and opportunities in our country. And it creates a real sense of comfort. And if that comfort results in a lack of engagement that's irresponsible, and it's operating under the assumption that we can just kind of do our life in this comfort and freedom and everything will just continue to be as it has been. And I'm here to tell you that's not going to be the case. And I wonder if, if you could just imagine with me if, if we were taken and placed in a country that was war-torn, disease-ridden, where people all around us were dying either from violence or disease. We were under a dictator's rule or a tyrant's rule. And if we didn't affirm what the tyrant said, our lives would be in jeopardy. I wonder if we were in that scenario, if we'd find it much more difficult to be irresponsible, to allow our comfort to lead us to apathy and not being active in the political realm. And so my encouragement, the reason why I want to do this is because I want simply for us to be responsible because our world needs people of faith to live responsible in the city of man. All right, so let me establish a few guidelines that will help us on this journey into the taboo, all right? So guideline number one, and if you're not taking notes, I would suggest maybe you you write down a few things. And here's maybe some help on taking notes. Just write down things that create an impression on your mind or your heart. Maybe present conviction, some area you need to think about more, pray about more, think about changing or doing. Anything that sticks in your mind is something, that's something I want to hear again. Well, write it down and read it. And see if God might not use that in your life. Okay, guideline number one God's primary agenda is a kingdom agenda. All right, I am not tonight going to announce a new direction for Southside Baptist Church. That's not what I'm about tonight. We're gonna keep on being the church that is concerned about loving Jesus, knowing truth, serving others, and reaching people. All right, So, so we're not going to create some, some new direction that is political activism that our church is going to take up this new banner. But I am encouraging tonight that you will consider how what I talk to you about could encourage you to be more influential as a citizen of the kingdom of God In the city of man. As citizens of the kingdom of God. We know that our home is the kingdom of God. We know that we belong to another place. But we're living right here in the city of man. And we have a responsibility to carry out God's kingdom agenda. And my hope tonight is to just encourage you to be more influential in that manner. Okay, guideline number two. God created the institution of government for a reason. God created the institution of government for a reason. Romans chapter 13, verse 4. Turn there with me quickly. This is a great passage that addresses the issue of government and politics. You can also find something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 2. But in Romans chapter 13, we'll just, we'll just read verse 4. You can read all the way through the first part of this chapter and get the, the full picture here. But verse 4 says about government that it is a minister of God to you for good. If you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings Wrath on the one who practices evil. So both Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2 convey that the governing authorities are put in place by God in order to bring punishment on those who do evil and, uh, and execute justice and defend the weak. The government is to promote good, prevent, punish evil, and create order in the society. And the benefit of a government that is functioning as God prescribes. There are governments that do not function as God prescribes. But the benefit of the government that functions as God says a government should function is that the church is free to promote the kingdom of God agenda. All right? So we want to be clear on why God created the institution of government and that reason. Number three, the third guideline. Political involvement takes many forms. Political involvement takes many forms. So here's the thing. I'm not going to be expecting all of you to run for a civic office, a political office, over the next year. I'm not going to expect some of you to lobby for legislation. I'm not going to expect you to go to Austin or to go to DC and do th- I'm not expecting you to take up these banners. Now some of you may and and I think that would be great. And some of you should. And I hope you'll consider the possibility of God calling you in that direction. But I am not encouraging you to do any particular kind of involvement. I want to generally give you a sense That as a follower of Christ, there are essential minimums for political engagement. That every follower of Christ needs to to possess and live out some essential minimums to be biblical in our culture, under our government. All right, so let's keep moving through that, and and we must take up these essential minimums, and uh, we must do that because we have something to bring to the table that no one else has to offer. Okay, we, we want to understand why the government exists. We want to understand that we're not talking about specific kinds of involvement, but there's general essential minimums for engagement. And the reason we must be about those essential minimums is because we have something to offer that no one else can offer. I want want you to consider that today the Senate gave approval for our engagement in Syria. Are you aware of that? Everybody up on that current event? Well, you may or may not agree with that. And that's not the point tonight. But whether you agree or disagree, the fact is that it has occurred it's going to have ramifications in our world and that we as a nation have just operated according to a precedent that was set back in World War I by Woodrow Wilson. See, our nation, because of what happened in World War I, took on a global responsibility. To create safe havens for democracy. And presidents ever since World War I have been following that same precedent. World War II um, amplified that perspective because of what happened with Holocaust and with the Japanese. Um, Some of the atrocities that happened in World War II created this perspective towards human rights, and human dignity, but that's all flowing out of a Christian influence. Woodrow Wilson's decision to go over to Europe, World War I, was was motivated by Christian values. This precedent of a global engagement by the United States is there because of Christian influence throughout our history. And, And I think that's indicative of this reality that every single one of us needs to take up the essential minimums for political engagement because every one of us who believe in Jesus Christ have something to offer that nobody else in the world has to offer. Our history is full of many examples. where Christians have influenced our country. Listen to the words of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many of you students of school have memorized that? Had to memorize that? Public school, you had to memorize the Declaration of Independence. Isn't that fantastic? Do you know what the most important word in that portion? you know what the most important word is? Creator. The most important word in the first, in that phrase of the Declaration of Independence is creator. You take creator out and you do away with universal rights that belong to every single person. Now, who carries the banner of believing in God, the God of heaven and earth, the God who created everything? Who carries that banner? We do. And that means that we hold the torch of human dignity and morality. See, only people created in the image of God possess human rights. And our belief in God and His words give us The critical voice in our culture. If if our politics are left to secular humanists, you know what secular humanists you know what they are? People that don't believe in God. They believe that the highest authority is human themselves. All right? So they don't believe in God. If we leave our politics to people who do not believe in God, you remove the word creator from the Declaration of Independence and you remove the ability for the world to hold on to the reality that people have universal human rights. If, if we leave politics to the secular humanists, where do you think we're going to end up? I mean, why does the United States care about Syria? Why did George W. Bush spend $15 billion over the course of just a few years to help eradicate AIDS in Africa? Why did he spend untold amounts of of money to make sure that we were sending, America was sending uh, tents, mosquito nets, into Africa to prevent malaria. Why why do you think these things are happening in our country? Why do you think we care about starvation and disease all over the world, about war and tyrants in other countries? See, when it comes to human dignity and morality, we, the, the country that we live in, cares... Because of Christians who have influenced politics. If we leave politics in the hand of secular humanists. We won't just stop caring about other countries. Our country will be in danger of falling apart completely. No human dignity. No morality. I mean, can can you see... Indications that we're already headed in the wrong direction? It, it's not hard to see that, is it? If you take our voice out of the equation of our government, human dignity human dignity and morality evaporate. And so we have a chance to stand in our culture in the middle of its politics and call attention to values, standards, and morals of the kingdom of God. We have a responsibility to stand for and speak for what God prescribes as good and right. We have a responsibility to call what is evil, evil, and to call what is good, good. We must be a voice because no one else will say what God says. Followers of Christ are the only voice that are saying, that can say what God says. The church and Christians. Like no one and nothing else is able to speak for and defend the values and morals that are good both for humanity and for the church. You see, only believers, listen to this, only believers can influence the government to be a government that will grant freedom and opportunity to the church To carry out the kingdom agenda. We're the only ones who can influence the government to be what the government is supposed to be. Because God told us what the government is supposed to be. And we're the only ones that can do that so that the church is free to engage the culture with the gospel. No one else can do that. No one else is going to do that. We we can and we must be a moral lens for our government so that we might continue to enjoy the freedom to build another kingdom. We bring to the table what no one else brings. And we must not forget that responsibility. So let me talk to you about these essential minimums. There are three that I want to give you tonight. One's going to get our attention. The other two I'm just going to mention briefly. The first two are minimums, essential minimums. Pray for our government. Now, if you're like me, if you don't make it a point to pray for your government, you don't pray for your government. If if you don't put on your list of things to do, if you don't write a list of things to pray for, if you don't make a plan to pray for the government, you're not going to pray for the government. But at the very least, followers of Christ need to be praying for the government and our governing leaders. I just encourage you to make sure that it's a part of your regular routine in following the Lord to pray for our government. The second essential minimum, not going to get a lot of our time, is to vote. I've already addressed these two essentials uh, back during the election year. And I'm not going to do the same amount of detail covering of those two elements. But pray for your government and vote in elections. Critical responsibilities, essential for followers of Christ. All right, the, th- the third essential minimum that I want to give a little bit of attention to tonight is something I'm just going to call engagement. Just to engage. And kind of the, the verse that I think helps set the pattern of that engagement is Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In our circles of influence, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our community, in our city, we need to be engaging in private and public conversations about the world stage, about the human condition about society, about world events, about civic opinions, about cultural norms. We need to be engaging in both private and public conversations, creating bridges in those conversations to what God has to say. We need to bring the gospel, we need to bring the word of God to bear on every aspect of life and conversations about life about government, about world affairs. Now Think about this. If we're not doing that, if we're not engaging in conversations about all the things happening around us related to our government and our politics and creating bridges to what God says, who's doing that? If, if we're not doing that, who's doing that? So so people that don't know what God says, you know what they're left to? Their own intuition. What they feel about it. Or what the godless government is telling them they ought to believe. That's not good paths to follow. We, We have got to be engaging in conversations related to the world stage and bringing in bridges to what God says. Because if we don't, people will not hear what god has to say when we allow the subjects that the culture wants us to stay out of to remain taboo like mixing religion and politics then we're not being faithful to the gospel and we're simply not loving people now, i suspect if i went to the mall tonight and walked into a central gathering area maybe the food court and i said hey i want everybody's attention I would love to have a conversation with a big group of you tonight about religion and politics. Just come on over. I suspect that the food court clears out. Now, don't you think it's interesting that the culture doesn't really want us talking about that to them? But the culture, the people are not our enemy. See, flesh and blood is not the problem here. You know who the problem is? Satan is. He's our enemy. And Guess what? Shouldn't it be a red flag to us? If our culture doesn't want us talking about it, perhaps the enemy's behind that. If the enemy doesn't want us talking about it, maybe that's a good clue of something we ought to be talking about. And I don't want to be a church that just kind of lives in comfort, because I'm telling you, this is a comfortable city, a comfortable community, a comfortable church to kind of do our thing in Christianity and go about our lives. And I, and I don't think we can get away with that if we want to follow Jesus. So I want to encourage you to engage with those around you in conversations about topics that need God's Voice. That's what our culture needs. That's what your workplace needs. That's what your neighborhood needs. That's what your friendships need. That's exactly what our culture needs. And we we not only have the calling on our lives to share the gospel, but we also cannot stand by and let the godless use The godless people in our government use the government system to advance a godless agenda. That's not the purpose of government. It's bad for humanity and it's bad for the church. God told the church the purpose of the government and so we ought to be about garnering, doing everything we can We should do everything possible within our means to make sure the government does what God wants the government to do. And I want to encourage you not to just engage in conversations, but to engage in loving people as you talk to them. People don't need hate speech in the form of Christianity. They need the truth from people who love them. And so make sure that as you have conversations, you're doing everything you can to love people. Because when you speak God's words, but you don't love people, you're not reflecting the gospel. And then when you do this and your message is rejected, guess what? That's probably going to happen at some level. When your message is rejected, when people don't agree, just keep on living in the city of man according to the kingdom of God, loving people, speaking the truth, believing in God's purposes, espousing God's values and morals. And when you're rejected, don't let rejection convince you that you don't have a pivotal role to play you're not valuable to the unfolding of God's purposes. I just want to encourage you that your engagement in the city of man is essential. And you're going to do more for the kingdom of God. And the cause of Christ. If you believe what he says. That your voice is essential in the city of man. If you will believe that and you'll act that, you'll make more of a difference than you can imagine. See, throughout history, governments around the world have been influenced by Christians. In 1811, the New York Supreme Court came out with a statement that said, The morality of the country is deeply engrafted upon Christianity. We are people whose manners and whose morals have been elevated and inspired by means of the Christian religion, the New York Supreme Court. And I just want to remind you that that perspective has not been totally lost yet. But if we do not engage if we stand by silent and comfortable, our country's standards, values, and morals will continue to decay and possibly reverse course completely. And if that day comes, the government will be far from the purpose of God. And the church will suffer dearly. Should we not stand against that day and the possibility that exists if we don't speak what God says? We are the most necessary voice in our country for the purpose of our government and the salvation of people. In our world. I hope you believe that. And I hope your belief in that. Will be demonstrated this week. By engaging. In the world affairs. Conversations. and Create bridges. To what God says. Now in the months to come. I'm going to further equip you to do that. To make bridges to what God says with world affairs, government issues, religious issues, sexual, sexuality issues. I'm going to help you make those bridges so that you're equipped to engage. Your voice is the most important voice.